0: Here is a question for you. Do you recognize this man? Do you know who this
1: guy is? The president bears responsibility for
2: Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate
1: action by President Trump.
0: Now, I know that visibly that is very clearly Republican Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. But can you imagine a world in which the Kevin McCarthy we know today, Speaker McCarthy, would openly blame Donald Trump for January the 6th? As hard as it is to believe, Kevin McCarthy really did say those things about Donald Trump exactly two years ago today. And he said it on the occasion of Donald Trump's impeachment, his second impeachment for trying to overturn the election in 2020, exactly two years ago today. It's an odd milestone to hit for our country. It is especially odd when the same Kevin McCarthy who once blamed Trump for January the 6th is now saying as Speaker he would be willing to look into ways to expunge Donald Trump's impeachment. Now, I do think it is important to remember today that even though Donald Trump has not yet been held criminally liable for January the 6th, the former president has still found himself in a deep well of legal trouble since he left office. We know that in the state of Georgia, the former president is currently under criminal investigation for trying to cajole the Georgia Secretary of State into flipping the 2020 election results there in his favor. There are also multiple ongoing criminal investigations into the former president's businesses. Just today, the Trump organization was ordered to pay a steep financial penalty after the company was found guilty of felony tax fraud. There is the ongoing Justice Department investigation into January the 6th, where the special counsel, Jack Smith, is investigating whether anyone committed a crime by trying to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power. Also under the special counsel's purview is, of course, the Trump documents investigation about whether Donald Trump mishandled classified information by storing a trove of top secret government documents at his Florida beach club and pretending they were his. Now, let's pause here for just a second. As I am sure you are well aware, it has recently been discovered that the current president, Joe Biden, also had several classified documents improperly kept at the office for his think tank and also at his Delaware home documents from the time he was vice president. Right off the bat, let's get this out of the way. Joe Biden's lawyers, after discovering the classified documents at his home and office, immediately alerted the government, turned over the documents and searched all of Joe Biden's offices and properties to make sure there were no other classified documents accidentally being stored there. On Donald Trump's end, the federal government repeatedly asked Trump's team to turn over classified documents they believed were being improperly held at Mar-a-Lago. Donald Trump resisted turning over those documents to get them back. The Justice Department had to serve him with a search warrant to secure that warrant. The FBI told a judge that they expected to find evidence of obstruction by the former president at Mar-a-Lago. So let's stop comparing or equating Biden and Trump But there is one other really important difference between these two stories. It's the reason I wanted to spend a few minutes laying out all of the different criminal investigations into Donald Trump right now. The difference being only one of these two guys walks around every day carrying the stench of multiple criminal investigations. Context matters. Despite the vast false equivalencies, Attorney General Merrick Garland went out and appointed a special counsel to investigate Joe Biden's handling of classified information. And that special counsel is not just any lawyer. Oh, no. His name is Robert Hur. He's a lifelong Republican. He once clerked for one of the most conservative Supreme Court justices in history, William Rehnquist. He's attended Federalist Society events and was a Trump administration appointee. That's the guy Merrick Garland picked to sick on Joe Biden. But here's the thing. As hard as Merrick Garland is trying to be nonpartisan here, as hard as he's trying to appear that he is not treating Joe Biden any differently than the DOJ is treating Donald Trump, Garland is not actually treating them the same at all. More than a year and a half passed after the National Archives first raised the issue of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, before Merrick Garland even got around to picking a special counsel to investigate further. And yet it took Garland just 72 days to assign a special counsel to Biden after Biden's team first alerted the National Archives. And Talking Points Memo points out today that with his pick to investigate Biden, Garland is carrying on with a long tradition of Democrats in office picking Republicans to either run the FBI or do special counsel investigations. Did you know there has never been a Democrat appointed to be FBI director? Any time a Democratic president gets the chance to pick an FBI director, they pick a Republican. Republicans do not reciprocate. You'll be shocked to hear. I mean, do you think a Republican AG working for Donald Trump would have picked a Democratic special counsel to investigate, say, Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama? And if Merrick Garland really is trying to appease the right with what he sees as a nonpartisan pick to run the Biden documents investigation, well, it isn't working. Listen to Trump ally Kash Patel explain what he thinks of the Republican who Merrick Garland picked to investigate Biden.
2: This guy is a swamp monster of the tier one level.
0: He's a government gangster. He's now in charge of the continued crime scene cover up. In terms of the Republicans in Congress, meanwhile, rather than rely on the swamp monster special counsel, they're just running their own investigation. Newly minted House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan announced today that the first order of business for his committee will be investigating Biden's handling of classified materials. Short of putting Donald Trump himself in charge of running the Biden investigation, there is no candidate that Merrick Garland could pick who would satisfy Republicans or stop them from accusing the Justice Department of unfairly running these investigations. So what then was the point of Garland picking one of their own guys? And when will Democrats stop trying to appease the right because you can't? Joining us now is Harry Littman, former deputy assistant attorney general and former U.S. attorney for the Western District of Pennsylvania. Harry, thanks for being here tonight. Uh, My first question to you is, was Garland's hand forced when he made the choice to put this matter first in the hands of a different Trump appointee, U.S. attorney John Lausch, who then recommended to Garland that he appoint the special counsel. I wonder whether he kind of, you know, put it, boxed himself into a corner. And does it make sense to you, given a lot of people say there's no evidence right now of any underlying criminality in the Biden case?
1: And that is really the number one point, Manny. A lot of people are saying it was forced. It's true. Once Lausch says to him, you need to do it, it's very difficult for him not to. But the letter of the law is that you appoint someone when a criminal investigation is warranted. And as you said, there's not a scintilla of evidence that Biden has done anything wrong, much less criminal. And if somebody has, if there's some sort of mid-level uh, staffer from his old office, you You don't need a special counsel for that. So my short answer is he did it for political reasons. That doesn't make it bad. I mean, you know, it might have been that it was uh, all in all savvy and forced, but it was not strictly by the book, which is how we've thought about Garland in the past.
0: So uh, let me just ask a very straight question, Harry. Yeah. If there was no investigation into Trump and Mar-a-Lago right now, would there be an investigation
1: into Joe Biden? You know, I don't think so. And it is a great point. On the other hand, of course, this is the hand that he and the administration have been dealt. You're certainly right that her is a hard charger and a staunch Republican. On the other hand, there is so nothing there for Biden. And I think Garland can anticipate a a sort of subtext here that others haven't really remarked on so much. He's going to take the recommendations of the professionals he appoints. I think that means that Jack Smith will, in fairly short order, recommend charges in Mar-a-Lago, and that Robert Hur, in fairly short order, will recommend nothing in the Biden case. That could be wrong because there's, you know, That's, independent counsels have a way of kind of go becoming their own sort of story, branching yes. out to others, etc. He's going to take a long time, I think, to get a staff together. This could hover over the White House for a while. Nevertheless, I think Garland anticipates he'll be in a position down the line to say, look, I did what Hurst recommended. Look, I did what Smith recommended. And uh, that will um, equate to Trump charges, no Biden charges. It's interesting
0: that you mentioned, first of all, fascinating what you're saying there about the likelihood. So just to be clear, you believe that appointing her to investigate Biden Increases, not decreases, the chances of Jack Smith recommending criminal charges against Donald Trump.
1: I'd say I'd say it doesn't uh, have any effect. One hopes it doesn't have any effect, but um, Smith is already well down the line, and there's a lot of reason to think, just kind of reading the tea leaves, that he's he's pointed in the direction of charges. I think the notion is that they're both hermetically sealed, sort of separate fiefdoms, if you will. And that but that's a that's a question that is provoking a lot of attention now. Does it make it more likely, less likely? I think it makes it neither one nor the other. But that's the way things were going independently.
0: Harry, quick last question to you, just to be clear on the law here. All I heard about last August after Mar-a-Lago, especially from Trump defenders, was it's all about intent. You have to prove intent. And Trump basically came out and confessed intent. He said that my documents, I took them,
1: give them back to me. There is no evidence of intent on Joe Biden's part. There's not only no evidence of intent, there's no evidence of knowledge. I find it inconceivable he's going to be subject to criminal yeah. charges. And for that reason, I think you you have to say that the decision by Garland was driven by more than the letter of the law.
0: Yes, indeed. Harry Littman, former deputy assistant attorney general, former U.S. attorney for the Western District of Pennsylvania. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Manny. Joining us now is Congressman Joining us now is Congressman Eric Swalwell, who served on the House Intelligence Committee in the hundred and seventeenth Congress Democratic Congressman from California. Thank you for joining us tonight, Congressman. Do you agree with the appointment of, course, of a special counsel in this Biden classified documents investigation? As you just heard Harry Lippman say, it was really a political decision from someone who claims not to be political, Merrick Garland.
3: Uh, sure, Matty. I, I I do agree. And, and also, uh, to Harry's point, I think you're going to find that the, there's nothing there. It, it looks inadvertent. They're cooperating. If Treat them both the same. I I think that's what we all want. Uh, I do also agree with your point, though, that, that too often, you know, Democrats, you know, want to stand, uh you know, so virtuous on Mount Olympus. Uh, I often tell folks, uh, we fight uh, with one hand tied behind our back, and it's usually the upper hand. Uh, yeah. and, and so I, I think sometimes We think that by doing, uh, you know, these exercises, it's going to please Republicans. It's not. My Republican colleagues are attacking, uh, Mr. Hur, uh, saying that he used to work with Chris Ray, who, by the way, was appointed by George, uh, Bush and also, uh, Donald Trump.
0: Yeah, and don't forget the person who famously went after Trump but who Trump hates, Robert Mueller, also a lifelong Republican. I'm glad you preempted my next question, which was going to be, why do Democrats keep appointing right-wingers? Let's talk about another right-winger, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan, uh, who wrote a letter to Merrick Garland today announcing that he's launching his own investigation into the House Judiciary, by the House Judiciary Committee, into the Biden documents. These are the same Republicans, same Jim Jordan, who didn't care about documents uh, up until, you know, a few hours ago. Go. Um, that's what they said before the Biden documents were discovered. They don't care about improperly stored documents. So what is the real motivation for the Jordan investigation? What do Republicans hope to get out of that?
3: Uh, well, they're forming, you know, a law firm uh, to defend rioters at the Capitol. They should call it, you know, Insurrection LLC because that's, you know, what it looks like, Betty. Uh, and you said that Jim Jordan doesn't care about documents. He also doesn't care about voters because the message that the voters sent uh, this last election was that they want us, you know, to focus on delivering when it comes you know, to lowering health care costs, investing in infrastructure, keeping our kids safe and their schools. And they, they don't want extremism and they rejected extremism all over the country, and, and they here are doubling down on extremism. So what you're going to see uh, is sort of a three-pronged approach uh, from Democrats. One, we're going to discredit Jordan uh, every step along the way to show that they have zero credibility. We're going to debunk all of the lies uh, you know, thrown at the Biden administration, and then we're going to show that if we were in the majority, what we would do on those core issues that I just laid out, health care, uh, infrastructure, women's reproductive rights, protecting uh, our kids. And I, I think that's going to be a winning message.
0: Congressman, how can you say they're not focused on issues that Americans care about when they're ultra focused on the existential threat to our gas stoves, uh, which I'm going to be talking about later on the show? Let me ask you this a more important question, which is yeah, Maddie, do you if, accept I, if I look a
3: little sorts that, because I've spent the afternoon, if I look a little sorts because I've spent the afternoon, you know, removing stoves from all of you know, the Republicans on my block. Uh, but uh, I've got my round, energy back now in California.
0: Which has one of the highest rates of gas stove ownership, apparently, Blue State, California. <laughs> Let me ask you this. You must have, look, we all agree that the Biden case is not similar to the Trump case. But you must have got annoyed, like a lot of Democrats, when you saw the news that, oh my God, the president's got these documents in his garage or wherever it was in his home in Delaware.
3: Of course, because we know that the Republicans won't be honest brokers about it, and, and they'll try and give this false equivalence to Donald Trump, who in the past tried to leverage $350 million of taxpayer assistance to Ukraine for his own benefit in election, someone who would probably leverage national security secrets that he wanted to hold on to, to what looks like an inadvertent mistake. But that's where we are right now. And again, I think that's why we have to you know, discredit debunk, defend, uh, and then show what we would do uh, when we're in the majority and bring competency over chaos.
0: Quick last question, Congressman. The new Speaker of the House, Republican Kevin McCarthy, has threatened to kick you off of important committees. What is the status of that threat? Will you get to keep your seat on the Intelligence Committee, do you believe?
3: Well, I I hope so. It's a bipartisan committee. Uh, We've always delivered a a unanimous uh, national reauthorization of the Intelligence Authorization Act. Uh, But Mehdi, he is weaponizing a committee that's never been weaponized before, politically out of political vengeance. And by the way, he's fundraising off of it. As death threats come in to me and my children and we tell him that he's bringing death threats to our children with the lies that he's spreading, he has sent 20 fundraisers in the last two days trying to raise money off of kicking me off this committee. This isn't about anything substantive. This is just pure political vengeance.
0: Congressman Eric Swalwell, Democrat of California, thank you for your time. Sorry to hear again about those threats. Please My do pleasure. stay safe.
3: Appreciate that, Maddie.
0: Much more ahead, much more ahead this hour, despite multiple calls for his resignation, serial liar Congressman George Santos refuses to resign. And really, why should he? We'll take a look at how he really fits right in with today's Republican party. And which people are actually responsible for the few proven examples of the voter fraud that Donald Trump is always ranting about. I'll give you one guess, but stick around for the answer.
2: There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents... Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it.
3: Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South.
2: Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series, from executive producer Trevor Noah, Sunday, May 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC. Alpha One Niner, commence Wi Fi device checklist. Laptops on, TVs streaming.
0: When it comes to Republican Congressman George Santos's campaign spending, there are a lot of fishy expenses. There's the $40,000 spent on air travel in a local election. There's the $30,000 spent on hotels in places like Tennessee, Virginia, Texas, Florida, California, Kansas, and Michigan, again, in a local New York election. And the $11,000 that appears to have potentially paid for Santos' own rent during his campaign. But the expenses of Santos that campaign finance experts say raise the most red flags are the more than 30 expenses that came out to a total of $199.99, a convenient single penny short of the $200 threshold where the FEC requires you to keep your receipts to prove you actually spent the campaign money how you claimed. Now, most of these $199.99 expenses claim to be from places like Best Buy or Staples or Uber, where there's an infinite number of possibilities as to exactly what Santos or his team were buying or how far his drive was. But seven of those miraculously $199.99 charges were supposedly at this Italian restaurant in Little Neck, Queens. So what are the odds of getting that exact tab there? (laughs) Thanks to some intrepid reporting by Slate's Alexander Salmon, we now know they are not good. Last night, Alex ate dinner at this Italian restaurant with the explicit target of trying to get a bill there of $199.99, Santos style. His orders of olives and cheeses and squash blossoms and pasta and a martini were not because that's what he wanted to eat, but because he was specifically crafting his order to get as close as possible to that magic number on the Santos bill. And even with that much effort, Alex could not do it. His bill came out to $194.89, and with tip, it blew well past the $200 FEC threshold. Today, a watchdog organization called Accountable.us filed a complaint against George Santos with the FEC, alleging he misused campaign funds for personal expenses. That's the second FEC complaint filed against Santos this week. That comes on top of eight of his fellow Republicans in Congress calling him to resign this week. And his local Nassau County Republican Party telling him explicitly that he's not welcome at any of their events and they want him to resign as well. Now, that is all well and good. But here is what I don't quite get. Why is the entire political world treating George Santos and his lies as such an anomaly? Why are we acting like he's that different to a whole host of other Republican politicians? Take former President Trump, who lied about everything, not just the size of his rallies or the election result, but personal stuff, Santos-style stuff. For example, falsely claiming he was top of his class at Wharton Business School. He wasn't. And inflating the size of his wealth and the value of his properties. He literally lied more than 30,000 times while in office. Former North Carolina GOP Congressman Madison Cawthorne, remember him? He lied about getting into the U.S. Naval Academy. Former Georgia Republican Senate candidate Herschel Walker, He lied about being a police officer. Most Republicans that ran for statewide office last year have publicly stated that they believe the big lie, that Trump somehow actually won the 2020 election. I could really go on and on, but you get the point. The MAGA-led Republican Party today is filled with serial fabulists. And why why wouldn't it be? It's the logical endpoint of being a party totally in hock to one Donald J. Trump. Tonight, The New York Times is out with new reporting that as early as November of 2021, a small circle of Republican campaigners found out that Santos's backstory was riddled with lies. The Times reports that in December of 2021, Santos's vendors had an emergency conference call to present Mr. Santos with a choice. Bow out of the race with dignity or stay in and risk letting Democrats turn up the same information and use it to destroy his political and personal future. When Santos then refused to resign, most of his team quit. That was a year before Santos got elected to Congress. And somehow none of the Republicans who were in the know that he was a fraud thought it would be a good idea to speak up. That says less about Santos and more about the state of the Republican Party. In the words of my friend, the journalist Wajahat Ali, George Santos is right where he belongs. Joining us now is Wajahat Ali, columnist for The Daily Beast, writer for Medium. Uh, Wajahat, thank you for being with us. Uh, First off, can I get your reaction to tonight's reporting in The Times that at least a small circle of New York Republicans knew that Santos was a fraud and a liar for over a year and didn't say Mm. anything?
2: Well, like I said, the awesome, sensational, fantabulous George Santos, also known as, I think, uh, Alexander Devolver, Anthony Devolver and Spartacus and Batman, the former president of Estonia the professional line tamer, the humanitarian George Santos, uh, is right where he belongs, Mehdi, because yes, even though a few of his Republican colleagues, especially from Nassau County, have asked for him to resign, uh, we know that Kevin McCarthy, the House majority leader, the spineless amoeba of a man, earlier this week said, eh, nobody's perfect, right? When asked about Santos, he said innocent until proven guilty because McCarthy needs that slim four-vote majority. So George Santos, a man who has lied about being Jewish, lied about uh, his being married to a woman, lied about his mother dying in 9-11, in addition to having investigations both at the federal and local level, uh, he says, why should I quit? I'm following in the footsteps of the leader of the MAGA party. And yes, even though he's weakened, Donald Trump is still the leader, who, by the way, as you said, has lied more than 30,000 times as president. And by the way, I should say this, not just lies, but committed fraud. Just this week, right? Trump Organization has to give $1.6 million. Trump University, Trump Foundation. So if they still follow Donald Trump as a leader of MAGA, if I'm George Santos, I'm like, hey, why should I resign? I'm right where I belong. Yeah. And uh, in your list of uh, things there, don't ever, don't forget
0: the uh, volleyball champion at Baruch College, a college he never went to where he didn't play volleyball, but apparently he was a champion in volleyball at the college he didn't go to. You made the point in your piece, which uh, that Santos is now following the Trump playbook with his defiance in response to calls for his resignation. And he isn't just denying allegations, he's trolling. Uh, check him out yesterday with Matt Gates on Steve Bannon's show. Have a listen. Uh, One of the principal critiques I've heard is that a lot of money uh, was donated to your campaign by you. 700,000, I believe. Where did it come from?
2: Well, I'll tell you where it didn't come from. It didn't come from China, Ukraine or Burisma. How about that?
0: Boom, boom, boom. How's that for a kind of MAGA checklist? Will that strategy, though, work in the end? Will the MAGA base rally around him and say he's one of ours? We've got to defend him blindly.
2: Kevin McCarthy says he's fine, right? I like I said, they need his vote. There's a slim four-vote majority. It's not just you know this investigation that New York Times article you uh, pointed out in the beginning also says that this company called Redstone that nobody can find, by the way, Mehdi, just somehow took like millions of dollars from Republican uh, donors and has not filed with the FEC. They don't know where that money really has gone, and so that investigation could actually expose George Santos to criminal liability. And like you said. These Republicans, a small influential group of Republicans, according to The New York Times, knew about this, yet kept quiet. So if they kept quiet about Donald Trump, a violent insurrectionist who was impeached twice, a man who lies with his every breath, why would George Santos resign when they still yeah. follow Trump? And just earlier this week, Kevin McCarthy thanked Matt Gates and Donald Trump. He thanked the man who literally humiliated him in public and held up the vote for 15 rounds. I do not see him resigning unless there is a criminal investigation, perhaps an indictment and a conviction. If I'm George Santos, I'm like, I'm right where I belong. And he was chucking, you know, chuckling it up with Marjorie Taylor Greene. He's got the backing of Kevin McCarthy. Stay right there.
0: I think we've got a clip of him speaking at an event, a public event in 2019, quite recently, uh, where he introduces himself in this way. Have a listen.
2: My name is Anthony DeVolder. Um, I'm a New York City resident. I recently founded a group called United for Trump. Why are we even
0: calling him George Santos? I mean, his name is George Anthony DeVolder Santos. We think that's his official name, but he didn't even go by George Santos until he turned up in Congress. And when he was asked to vote recently in the speaker's election, Santos Santos, he didn't even respond to the name.
2: Yeah, they should have said Batman, Batman or Spartacus, Spartacus uh, or Anthony Devolver. Uh, Look, he's a serial habitual liar. He's the untalented Mr. Ripley. This is who he is. And, uh, you know, he's so reckless. But I think you and I have talked about this uh, on your show before, Mehdi. It's the shamelessness, which I have to kind of admire, because if you and me, if we if we got caught lying about our educational yeah. background, I think you and me would just like, you know, son of, Pac, uh, you know, son of Desi immigrants. We'd look look down, be ashamed. Our mother would slap us with a chuckle. This guy goes on Tulsi Gabbard's, you know, Fox show when she was studying for Tucker shamelessly. Just oh, he says, hey, I made a couple of mistakes. I exaggerated a little bit. And then it's he has audacity to troll Adam Kinzinger. It's amazing. It's it's remarkable. But This yeah. is who the Republicans are. It is an art form. It is an art form.
0: Wajahat Ali, uh, columnist for The Daily Beast, thank you for your time tonight. Appreciate it. Still ahead tonight, the real reason why the American right is suddenly freaking out over gas stoves. Yeah, gas stoves. And the ridiculous things they're saying and doing while their colleagues across the aisle actually try to get work done. But coming up next, Donald Trump and his Republican allies have been ranting about voter fraud for years now. But who's actually responsible for the bulk of the still rare instances of actual voter fraud? You might not be so surprised. That's next. Stay with us. We now have two special counsels investigating the current and past president over their handling of classified documents. One of them, Donald J. Trump, took to social media to rail against special counsel Jack Smith. He made sure to add in his favorite line at the end of his tantrum, quote, the election was, in all caps, rigged. That is the quintessence of Trump, the idea that voter fraud is rampant in America and it cost him the election. And he's still pushing that lie over two years after the presidential election that he very clearly lost. You almost have to admire his message discipline, no matter how dishonest his message, because there are two things you need to know about the 2020 election. One, despite what Republicans would like you to think, there was no widespread, systematic, rampant voter fraud that would have changed the result. And two, the small random cases of voter fraud that do keep coming up, well, they all seem to have been committed by Republicans. How could we forget the Nevada Republican voter who said he found it sickening to learn someone had cast a ballot in his deceased wife's name? The Trump supporter's story became a rallying cry for the Trump campaign and the GOP. Turns out the Republican voter himself ended up getting charged with two counts of voter fraud for casting a ballot in his wife's name. That man pleaded guilty to voting more than once in the same election, or simply put, voter fraud. There's also the Republican Trump loving stronghold of the villages in Florida, where a total of four people would end up being charged with voter fraud for allegedly voting in Florida and in their other state of residence in the 2020 election. Three of the four of those arrested were registered Republicans. The fourth was not affiliated with any party. Notably, Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis failed to mention those cases in his showy press conference announcing voter fraud arrests. There was also the Pennsylvania man who pleaded guilty to felony unlawful voting for casting an absentee ballot for Donald Trump in his dead mother's name. A Republican Arizona woman also pleaded guilty to casting a ballot in her dead mother's name in the 2020 election. In Ohio, a local Republican official admitted to forging his dead father's signature on an absentee ballot, then voting again himself. We learned this summer that the husband of a Colorado woman who has been missing for over two years pleaded guilty to illegally casting his wife's mail-in ballot for, wait for it, for Donald Trump. While shenanigans from the 2020 election are still coming to light, we are also learning of a few more recent ones. We learned this week that a former New York State Republican election official pleaded guilty to illegally using voters' personal information to obtain absentee ballots in 2021, also known as voter fraud. The indictment describes a scheme in which the former official allegedly had voters sign an envelope that was supposed to hold their completed ballots. Then he would, according to the indictment, himself fill out the ballots and submit them. This is a Republican who was tasked with being the election commissioner for a county in upstate New York. You can assume he knows how elections are supposed to work. He is the second Republican official in the same county, to plead guilty in connection to a voter fraud scheme. You can't make this stuff up. A local Republican councilwoman pleaded guilty to identity theft after being accused of casting three absentee ballots in other people's names in 2021. And just yesterday, the Department of Justice announced that it has charged the wife of an Iowa Republican politician with 23 counts of voter fraud for allegedly submitting or encouraging others to submit dozens of fraudulent voter registrations and absentee ballots in the 2020 Republican primary for Iowa's fourth congressional district, which, wait for it, her husband lost. But it didn't end there. After her husband lost, she's accused of doing the same thing in the 2020 general election when her Republican husband successfully ran for county supervisor. I think it's fair to say that when it comes to the GOP and claims of voter fraud, the call is coming from inside the House. We'll be right back. It's just after 9 p.m. on the East Coast. Have you had your dinner yet? If you did, how'd you cook it? Did you use a gas stove? Because if you did, savor the taste of that sweet butane-burned chow while you still can. Because President Biden is coming to take away your gas stove. His jack-booted thugs are outside your door right now, ready to trample on your God-given right to heat food over a small blue flame. Now, obviously, none of that is actually true the Biden administration is not coming to take your gas stove. But if you watch and believe Fox or other conservative media outlets, that's exactly what you think is happening. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, in the kitchen, uh, your gas stove may be bye bye
4: Biden's climate change agenda now targeting your kitchen.
0: Biden's coming for your gas stove. A ban on your gas
1: stove. Ban gas-powered stoves. The White House is now attempting to ban all gas ovens. Safety. Safety? (laughs) And your family dinner is about to get a lot less tasty.
0: America is not going to stand for this. There's not a stove like this one could be banned
1: soon. Nobody's going to tell me I can't cook with gas. Do you like to cook with gas? Many people do. I do. Mm. Flavor of the food, if you can do it.
0: not just a talking heads on Fox. All week, right-wing politicians have been pushing the same nonsense. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis joined the fray, tweeting yesterday a version of the Don't Tread on Me Gadsden flag with a gas stove on it. Yesterday, Jim Jordan, Republican congressman, tweeted the conservative movement's new alliterative slogan, gods, guns, gas stoves. Matt Gates posted this video of this gas stove with the caption, You'll have to pry it from my cold, dead hands. Although, Matt, not sure how your hands will be cold if you're clutching onto a lit gas range. Now, I could spend time debunking this ridiculous talking point by explaining how no one is actually coming to take your stove, how the Consumer Product Safety Commission is merely looking into the well-documented health hazards of having a gas-burning stove in your home. I could waste time explaining to you how the vast majority of gas stoves are actually found in coastal liberal states, while most red-state Americans already use electric-powered stovetops. But I'm not going to do all that because this is not actually about gas stoves. Obviously, the right wing freak out over the use of gas stoves is merely the latest in a long series of made up culture war battles designed to enrage and rile up their right wing and paranoid base. And the fact that they have chosen something as nonsensical as a made up ban on gas stoves illustrates just how much contempt the right has for its base. No one disrespects red state America more than the red state politicians who treat their voters like idiots. We have seen them do this over and over again, whether it's to freak out about energy saving light bulbs or canceling Dr. Seuss or Joe Biden supposedly banning red meat, remember that one? No more burgers for you because of the Green New Deal, apparently. It's why right-wing politicians have made ending drag queen story hour a centerpiece of their new political agenda. It's why newly elected Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders made banning the word Latinx one of her first official acts as governor. Yeah, top legislative priority, that one. Now, I know what you're thinking. They're politicians. They're just trying to get their base worked up, energized. That's what every politician does. And you'd be right. But contrast that with the issues that Democrats use to motivate their base. Issues like abortion rights, voting rights and protecting democracy. Right now, America only has one political party focused on issues that actually impact the lives of the voters and another that has maybe inhaled a little too much gas. Joining us now is Mark Leibovich, staff writer at The Atlantic, and author of Thank You for Your Servitude, Donald Trump's Washington, and The Price of Submission. Mark, the Republican Party loves to seize on these issues because it makes their base angry and outraged and worked up. That's always been a part of the conservative movement, going back to Reagan, going back to Nixon. When did it become the only part?
4: The life cycle of this seems to have become much tighter in recent years. I think. Trump sort of turbocharged this. I mean, Trump was was so. I mean, remember he used to have this rap about windmills killing birds. Like, wind power is going to ruin yes. our electric grids and everything. Uh, hamburgers, Dr. Seuss, all of these alleged huge threats to America, the way of life, and and you know this actually can be quite effective. I mean, Donald Trump's wall, right, which was a sort of a pipe dream from the beginning, right? He he tried to build it. Mexico was never going to pay for it, but this was symbolically something that was going to keep. You know, immigrants from coming into the country. This is essentially though a game that I think Republicans have gone to the well on maybe a few too many times. It becomes an object of ridicule and look. I had a hamburger just yesterday. Uh, I saw Dr. Seuss in a bookstore like 2 days ago. I actually had dinner from a gas stove tonight. Uh don't tell anyone though. This will be our little secret. So look, it just you can only cry wolf sometimes. It happens over and over again and this essentially has become Republican messaging as you said.
0: It is, and it's all about culture wars. It's all about that red meat because they haven't got anything else to offer. Personally, I'm I'm one of these people who says Democrats shouldn't run away from culture wars. They should fight them and win them because the public is with the Democrats on a whole host of culture issues like abortion, as we saw last year. But one thing the Democrats don't have is they don't have the message discipline that conservatives do. I mean, I look at my Twitter tonight and it's every Republican congressman. It's Republican senators. It's Republican governors. They all get on the act immediately. It's kind of astonishing.
4: It is, but at the same time, you're assuming that the message discipline we're talking about here is to a good end. I mean, look, I mean, they have not won a lot of these (laughs) last few elections. I mean, they have underperformed three elections in a row, which sort of, you know, despite the, uh, the, the hamburgers that are being taken away from us, right? So, yes, it might be message discipline, but it might be a discipline around a losing and shrinking message to a losing and shrinking base. So, yes, I mean, you look at, like, where the popular opinion is in the Center around things like abortion, guns, which are extremely hardcore base issues for the Republicans, and because they exist so much in an echo chamber of whether it's Fox News or their very red districts, and don't seem to be talking beyond you know those those barriers, um, yeah. it becomes even more of an echo chamber, and again, the cycle becomes much tighter. So
0: yesterday, Ron DeSantis tweeted, as I mentioned, his own version of the Gadsden flag with a gas stove on it. Ron DeSantis is now the poster child for all these culture war fights. He's the guy pushing the anti-LGBTQ agenda, the groomer offensive stuff in Florida, the book banning the war with Disney. Interestingly, when he was back in Congress, he was more of a Paul Ryan Chamber of Commerce Republican guy. Is his evolution indicative of of the Republican Party's change more broadly. He now sees this is the way to get to the top, to get that presidential bid.
4: Absolutely. And, and you know, the other thing is he was a complete anonymous backbencher in Congress who ran on one thing, which was complete and utter and sort of nauseating fealty to Donald Trump, and it got him the nomination and an upset in Florida, and it got him the governorship. So, and he kind of propelled itself from there. So, yes, I mean, Don, Ron DeSantis is an object lesson in how this strategy can be successful. But again, he exists in a very, very friendly state, in a very, very friendly and very sort of Fox-dominated echo chamber in places like the villages. And this is Ron DeSantis, you know, exploiting that to, to a great end. But, you know, not everyone can do it. And it's not necessarily a winning message in any kind of swing area where you're trying to get the critical mass of uh, American voters.
0: Mark Leibovich enjoy your weekend reading Dr. Seuss while eating a gas-grilled burger. Uh, I will and try we- to do so as well, and we won't tell anyone. Mark is a staff writer at The Atlantic and author of Thank You for Your Servitude. Have a great evening.
4: Thanks,
0: mate. We have one more story for you tonight. Elon Musk, owner of Twitter, CEO of Tesla, has officially broken a new world record. What for? The answer, according to the Guinness World Records, is coming up next. Do not go away. So, fans of Elon Musk, your guy has done it. He's made history, just like you believed he would. Now, I've expressed my fair share of skepticism and criticism for Musk, but I'm ready to take it all back. Let's have a look at what he's done this time to land him in the record books. What's he done? Uh, It appears he's lost more money than any other human being in the history of mankind. That's according to Guinness World Records, Which gave it all a Dickensian flourish by calling it the "quote worst loss of fortune in history." Now that is quite a feat. Guinness cites Forbes data that says that Musk lost an eye-watering $182 billion between November 2021 and early January of this year. Bloomberg's index shows him losing $200 billion. This new accolade comes at a pretty tough time for Elon. He's got his hands full dealing with the never-ending fallout at Twitter after paying $44 billion for a company that at the time was valued at what, max 25 billion? And all of that time away isn't helping the fact that the stock in his car company, Tesla, has lost 39% of its value just since December the 1st. Elon is also facing quite a few lawsuits from Tesla shareholders who say he's misled them, drivers who say his cars are braking at top speed for no reason and the state of California, which alleges racial discrimination at one of his automotive plants. Poor Elon is dealing with a lot at the moment, but I think, I think he's still going to be all right. It's not like he's one of the 63% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck, navigating an economy marked by inflation and especially rising costs for things like food, housing, and other basic necessities. Because such is our rigged economic system, our unequal playing field, that even with the, quote, worst loss of fortune in history, even after squandering all those hundreds of billions of dollars while trying to own the libs, Elon Musk is still the second richest human being on the planet. And on that note, that does it for us tonight.